We're in Mark chapter 10 tonight um, for part 25 of this series called The Images of Jesus. If you haven't been with us uh, before for this Images of Jesus series, let me tell you uh, the theme, the thought that's behind this. Um, uh, the book of Mark is very uh, quick-paced, quick-hitting, uh, hits on a particular image, a particular theme, a thought of, of the life of Christ that Mark is trying to portray. Mark is the writer of the book of Mark, interestingly enough. Uh, and he had Peter as his source. And so the stories that are coming are from Mark's pen through the words of, of Peter. And Mark's audience is the church in Rome, Roman Christians at a time when Nero was persecuting Christians by impaling them on sticks and setting them on fire. Uh, so that is the the, the background for the book of Mark, and it, it's very quick hitting and, and goes from scene to scene to scene, very much like a museum. That's the, the image that you see above you, uh, above me, the images of Jesus. So we're walking through a Jesus museum, seeing images of Christ that Mark wants to share with people so they can connect with the, what the life of Christ and what the mission of Christ is all about. So we have been studying the life of Jesus through the eyes of Mark, through the eyes of Peter, trying to see what it is Jesus was about so that we can go and do the things that Jesus was about. There's a lot to get to tonight, um, and so I don't want to waste any time. Let's let's get to work on it. Um, make no mistake, God has something for us tonight. The, the verses, the context, the, the culture that Jesus is speaking into here is about marriage. So whether you're married or not, or been married, or currently married, or any of that stuff, uh, or hope to get married at some point, this message is, is still for you. Because while... Marriage is the context. The actual teaching that Jesus is doing here and Mark is relating to us here is, is so much higher and, and above what, what marriage is. Jesus is teaching us some things. Uh, I want to read for you guys a quote. Uh, it comes from a book called Divorce, How and When to Let Go, written by a guy named John Adam and a lady named Nancy Williamson. Don't know much about them uh, except they wrote this book called Divorce, how and when to let go. They say in their book, your marriage can wear out. People change their values and lifestyles. People want to experience new things. Change is a part of life. Change and personal growth are traits for you to be proud of, indicative of a vital searching mind. You must accept the reality that in today's multifaceted world, it is especially easy for two persons to grow apart. Letting go of your marriage, if it is no longer fulfilling can be the most successful thing you have ever done. Getting a divorce can be a positive, problem-solving, growth-oriented step. It can be a personal triumph. As I read that this week, uh, I wanted to weep. And, and the message tonight is not about divorce. It's not about remarriage. It's not about whether you can get divorced or remarried. It's about Jesus Christ and His gospel and the perfection of the relationship that he offers with you and he desires for you to have with him and with other people in this world. That's what the message is all about tonight. But the context of it is marriage. So this quote that I just read from this book personifies our culture and, and its idol of fulfillment. We have this, this severe desire that we will sacrifice everything on for pleasing ourselves, for being comfortable, for, for perceived happiness, providing comfort and fulfillment for ourselves. And this quote, and the fact 
that, that this quote is embraced and, and loved and accepted and written about in books that people buy uh, is indicative of the fact that we live in a culture that is concerned first and foremost and almost nothing else on the self. I want to provide for myself. I want to be fulfilled. I, 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 I. In Christ's teaching from the, the moment he took his first breath from the moment he took his last breath to what he teaches us now through his word is deny yourself. And it runs counter to everything that, that, that we want to do and we want to be in ourselves. And, and that's what discipleship about in Christ is all about. So the subject matter or context is divorce, but the real heart of the teaching is idol worship and, and seeking pleasure outside of God's ordained uh, purposes. I read a blog this week, and this is a response. Somebody had, had written a blog about the sanctity of marriage, and this is one of the, in blogs you can respond, this is a response to somebody talking about the sanctity of marriage. It says, I must be happy. I must be true to who I am. Do not condemn me to a life that lacks fulfillment. I must do what is right for me. Traditional morality limits me to express who I am. Traditional morality limits me and my ability to express who I am. That's the culture that we live in, and that's the culture that, that we're gathered in a church tonight, right? And so we have predisposed understandings of what we're to think about marriage. And that is the sanctity of it. We need to fight for it, and we realize that these two quotes are nonsense, and we want to combat them. But, but I, want to, I want to combat our own idols and our own fulfillment idols and, and how we can discard certain things in our life that aren't quite as cut and dry as marriage. And discard them when they don't please me. When my church doesn't please me, no thank you, I'm going to go find a different one. When my Jesus doesn't please me, I'm going to read or, or have another teacher teach me something else about Jesus that I do like. Or my family, or my friends. It's, it's all the, the same notion. Jesus is teaching the notion, tearing down the idol of you trying to please yourself. And he's using the context, the, the story of marriage to teach it. Our natural bend is trying to please self and have self-fulfillment. It's not the right path. Proverbs, two times in the book of Proverbs, God gave... Solomon, the Proverbs, to teach us wisdom. Two times it says the same thing. In verse 14, 12, and in verse 16, 25, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. When we follow hard after this self-fulfillment, this self-idol, it leads to death. It seems right to us to try and provide for ourselves, but ultimately it winds up in death. So let's get to the, let's get to the, the Scripture. Let's get to Mark chapter 10, verse 1. He left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. I want to stop there for a moment and, and relate the, this, this scene. What's happening here? The, the, if we're walking through this images of Jesus Museum, what is happening here, the, the scene is this. He's in a region of Judea, just, which is just southwest of Capernaum. And Capernaum is where... 75% of the life of Christ took place and all of his miracles and, and most of his teaching and where he gathered his disciples was in a town called Capernaum on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And now he is making his geographical steps towards Jerusalem where he will die. And probably the, the, 
the timeline of this is about three, four weeks before his death, these events happen. And it's just south of Capernaum because Jerusalem is south of Capernaum and that's where he is, he is headed. And what is he doing here? Two things that he's doing. First, he's teaching his disciples. And second, he is seizing an opportunity to live out his mission. His grand mission is to come to this earth to live a perfect life and to die and rise again so that we can have eternal life with God. That's his grand mission. A lower mission is to always be teaching. Notice Mark's words at the end of verse 1. Again, as was his custom, he taught them. I hope that at this point in, in your walk with Christ and in, in your life on this planet, that God has, has given you a purpose, a vision, a mission, a purpose for your life. A mission for your life. And Christ never missed an opportunity to live out that mission for his life. And here, he has an opportunity to teach his disciples. We have to see that Mark, the author, good Bible study, is, is looking at who the author is and what he's trying to, to say. And what he's trying to say to us is, Jesus lived his life, and part of his mission was to teach. And every moment he got, he seized every opportunity to teach his guys. Verse 2, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the lawyers of the day, came up, and in order to test him, they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Let me say this. They don't care about Christ's answer to this question. These guys are the smartest people on the planet. These guys, their lives are all about reading and knowing and understand the law of God. They know the answer to this question. We have to know our history to back up. John the Baptist was a, a precursor to Christ. He came and proclaimed, repent and be baptized, repent and be baptized. That was his message over and over and over again. And he stood up. The, the king of, of the area at this time is a guy named Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas married his brother's wife named Herodias. John the Baptist stands up and says, that's not right. I don't care that you're the king. I don't care that you can kill me. That's not right. Stop it. You're in sin. Stop it. Herod Antipas knew that there was a lot of action going on and a lot of followers of, of John the Baptist. So if he tried to kill John the Baptist, he would lose his kingdom. So what he does is he puts John the Baptist in jail. And then uh, Herodias, Herod Antipas's wife and ex-wife of Herod Antipas's brother, uh, says devises this way to trick him. And so ultimately, John the Baptist dies because he, st he speaks out against divorce. So the Pharisees know this. Okay, it worked for us to kill John the Baptist. Let's try and trick Jesus into the same thing. Maybe we can kill him that way. So let's, here's the plan. It worked for John the Baptist. Let's go see if we can, we can say these things to, to, to Jesus and maybe he'll slip up and we can kill him the same way. So they get into the discussion over divorce and its lawfulness. And, and I... Again, this message, the, the context, the story is about divorce, but the teaching is so much bigger, so much greater than that. So let's not get bogged down in the, the marriage and divorce and remarriage part of what's happening because it's not what Jesus is teaching and it's not what Mark is trying to relate and, and the, the final story brings proof to that. So verse 3, Jesus answering their question that he knows that they don't want the answer to. What did Moses command you? Verse 4. They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you 
this commandment. Get bogged down for just a minute. Jesus, God gives to Moses this this reason, these reasons that, that it's okay for you to get divorced, but it's only a, a, a because of the hardness of your heart, because of the sin that's prevalent in the world, that I will allow you to do this. Verse 6. This is, verse 6 through 9 is, is the heart of the teaching and, and the beauty of the teaching. We're going to look at intimately at, at a few phrases. But from the beginning of creation... God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. I want to stop and look at, look at verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. The beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Turn over to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to connect with, with some of the heart of what he's teaching here. This is the beginning that Jesus is speaking about. Verse 18, I'm sorry, I said chapter 3, I meant chapter 2. Verse 18 of chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. So that out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Then this man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam was not found the helper for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken away from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In language that we just read in Mark. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. This is beautiful. And it's all orchestrated by God. And it, it paints the picture, the balance, the shalom, the, the intention that God had from the very beginning to create this universe, to bring man and woman so they could enjoy each other and enjoy Him. Go back up. Verse 21. So the Lord caused him to fall into a deep sleep, and he slept and took out one of his ribs and closed it up in the flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, He made into a woman and brought her to the man. These are... These are familiar verses and familiar passages, and, and I don't want us to, to lose sight of, of the intensity of what's being taught here. The intensity is this. Man is here on the earth. Man is here on the earth made to be in relationship with God and made to be in relationship with people. And there was not a suitable helper made for man. And so God made something for man to have intimate relationship with. 
and it's a woman. And he brought God, brought her to the man. I hope you can see the intimacy. And this is, this is pre-fall. This is before there's a fracture between God and man. This is perfection. This is our picture of heaven. God created this world with the intention of us living together in beautiful, perfect harmony, shalom. When the kingdom of God is talked about in Scripture, this is what it's talking about. Where we have intimacy with the people on this earth, in particular our spouse, and we have intimacy with the Father. This is what God intended and what He purposed throughout all of time. Verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. When a marriage happens, the, I wish that somehow we could spiritually see what's happening in a wedding ceremony. Anytime I get a chance to marry people, and there's at least two in this room who I've, I've gotten to, to join together in union. And, and as we, we went through premarital counseling, one of the things that I talked about over and over and over again is we see a physical thing happening where guys line up dressed nice and girls line up dressed nice and, and the father brings the, the, the daughter down and then they join hands together and a, a preacher reads some verses and says a prayer and says, kiss the bride and everybody's happy. And that's what physically happens in a wedding ceremony. But the beauty of, of what's truly happening there spiritually, I wish somehow we could illuminate the spiritual thing that's happening. And the spiritual thing that's happening is the, the child is being torn away from their parent and is being sealed together as one flesh with the bride, with the husband. And God is that seal. The same language that's being used there to seal is the same language that's being used when we are sealed with the Holy Spirit at our salvation. And it's, it's intensely powerful, and it's intensely God's intention for our lives. It's to bring us together with someone that we can relate to in a deeply intimate way. And, and that's what's happening spiritually in a wedding ceremony. But verse 25, And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Because we come in perfect shalom relationship. I'm going to let you see everything that I am. And I'm not going to care that you see everything that I am. And you're going to do the same thing. That's the perfect shalom relationship. What God intended for relationships to be. But because of the fall, because sin enters the world, there is brokenness. There is brokenness in relationship. There is brokenness in marriage. There is brokenness in marriage that leads us to read the things that we read about, I want to be fulfilled. I want to get for me. It's all about me. Give me. Give me. Give me. Instead of, I'm standing in front of you totally naked, and not just physically naked, but intimately naked, and, and emotionally and spiritually naked before. You see all that I am and are perfectly and totally accepting of all that I am. And that is the heart of the gospel and the heart of what Jesus is teaching and what Mark is relating to us in his teaching. Go back to Mark chapter 10. That is, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. That was the stuff about Genesis that I just went through is the, is the parentheses on verse 6 and verse 7 and verse 8. But what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate and understand the beauty that God has orchestrated in relationships. But the disciples get caught up in the question again. Verse 10. Most of the way Jesus is teaching is 
He gathers a bunch of people, and what happens? The Pharisees come to him, and they say, they ask him this question, he does all this teaching, and then later on, the disciples get alone, which is Jesus, so it's a more intimate setting. There's only two or three uh, people other than the disciples. So there's probably 12, 15 people in this, in this living room or wherever they were when this happened. Verse 10. The disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Jesus is teaching here on the seriousness of divorce. He's teaching on the seriousness of divorce and remarriage. And there's so many different views about divorce and remarriage, and I'm not going to get into them tonight because Jesus is only using this issue to teach a bigger spiritual principle. So let's not get bogged down in whether or not I'm supposed to get remarried or whether or not I'm supposed to get divorced because Jesus is is teaching a little bit about that, but more than that, he's teaching about we are all so stinking self-focused. We're all so consumed about our own comfort and our own self-fulfillment. You'll see what what I'm, I'm talking about here. Verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples began to rebuke them. Mark, writing here, begins, he's, Jesus is teaching about divorce, and then he's talking about kids. It, it seems to me, if we just glance at this, to be a, a totally disjointed, what is this author talking about? What in the world? Did, did we miss something? Did, did, you know, did it skip? Did they lose some pages? What, what happened? But ultimately, no. What Jesus is talking about is, is come to me. Like these little kids Come to me. Verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them. By the way, let's just stop there before we get into what Jesus said. Whenever a a word like indignant is used speaking about Jesus, we need to pay attention to it. Jesus is, is, is upset. He's Visually upset that Peter saw it and told Mark about it. Hey, Mark, make sure you write this when you're writing the story of Jesus. He was ticked at us when we said, leave these children alone. We want to learn about divorce from Jesus. And Jesus, in the midst of that, in the midst of them wanting to know about divorce, he says, forget about it. Be with me. And that's, we're so consumed with Life And what do we do next? And what does Jesus say about this? What does God say about this? What does Scripture say about this? Forget about it and be with Jesus. This is what he is teaching here, and it's so intense for our lives. And that's why it's, it's not just, it's just a context, a story for Jesus. Divorce and remarriage is just a story for Jesus to relate this spiritual principle. Forget about yourself. Lay down your life and be with me. Serve me. This is what he says. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of God. That kingdom of God is shalom, peace. The stuff we read about in Genesis. When the kingdom of God, those words show up. That's what he's talking about. Perfect peace in the universe. God is going to come and restore this perfect peace in the universe. And these, king, this, these children belong to this perfect peace. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive this perfect peace like a child, should not enter it. Some of you have been over to my house 
for dinner from time to time. Every night at 4.30, 5 o'clock, one of my three youngest kids runs up to me, or Jen, and says, is anybody coming over for dinner tonight? It happens every time. Every, not every time, but, but six, five, six nights a week, one of the three of my kids will run up and say, Daddy, is somebody coming to dinner tonight? And when, sometimes that happens two or three nights a week, we got people in our house having dinner. And, and when that, that door opens, whoever it is, my kids flock to them. And it, it's probably pretty cool for the person coming in for like the first 12 seconds. And then they become the, these sons of thunder and they're like trying to talk or whatever and Cooper's feet are on the back of your head or whatever. But, but at the heart of it is, my kids and kids in general just want to be with people. They just want to be with people. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. God, he, at the heart of it, God created your life to relate in a perfect peace, shalom relationship with humans and with Him. The fracture came, the fall came, came and screwed all that up. But we can learn from children and their willingness to accept people. They just want to be with people. Next time you, you, you come to my house for dinner and you walk in my front door and you see my kids run at you, understand that is that's what Christ is trying to teach us about how we run to Him and how we love and accept Him and how we run to people and love and accept them. That's the, that's the truth that Jesus is trying to teach us here in this context. Then, verse 16, And He took them in His arms and blessed them, laying His hands on them. I don't know about you, but that's... It's really, I can say a lot about what I want from my life. It has a lot to do with this church. It has a lot to do with you people. It has a lot to do with my wife and my kids, my family. But ultimately, what I want from my life, and he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. That's it. That's, that's a picture of heaven right there. That's, that's why we are here to run to Jesus and to sit in His lap with the other children and, and be blessed by Him and be touched by Him. But we live in this culture. Let's talk some application. We live in this culture that makes self and self-fulfillment an idol. And what I mean to say idol is that we sacrifice everything to gain self-fulfillment, to gain privilege or happiness or comfort for ourselves. That's what Jesus is, is teaching against here. And the idol is self and self-fulfillment. And that attaches itself to marriage. That attaches itself to relationships, to church, to Jesus, to family. All of these things. We serve ourselves and our self-fulfillment. If, if my church is not fulfilling everything that I want it to fulfill, it's discarded. If my relationships aren't fulfilling everything that I want them to fulfill, if they're not doing for me what I want them to do for me, they're discarded. 
And it goes against what Jesus is always teaching about. Deny yourself. And, and see that, how Jesus did not see self and self-fulfillment as an idol. How he suffered for you. See the cross as a picture of Jesus combating this idol of self-fulfillment. So, in the story, in the context of marriage, what is the purpose of marriage? What is Jesus teaching here? A guy named Vodi Bakum says this, If you do not know the purpose of a thing, you will eventually abuse it. that sit in your mind. If you don't know the purpose of a thing, you will eventually abuse it. If you don't know the purpose of your church, you will abuse it. If you don't know the purpose of your marriage, you will abuse it. If you don't know the purpose of your kids, you will abuse them. If you don't know the purpose of your relationship with your friends, you're going to abuse them. And at the heart of it, we can treat each one of these things, our church, our family, our, our marriage, all these stuff, as they're here to serve me. And when we treat them as, as if they're here to serve me, we immediately or eventually abuse them. And when a thing gets hard, it ceases to make us comfortable, and then we, in turn, discard it. So what is the purpose of marriage? Uh, Part of the Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I subscribe to that. The, the purpose that we are here for is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why we're, we are here. And everything in our life flows out of that. So if that's our, our, our focus, our main purpose, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, our marriage ought to be doing that same thing. So the purpose of marriage is twofold. First, to teach you about the love that God has for you. Um, I am, I talk about this a lot. Um, and if you don't like it, too bad. Uh, I am, I'm blessed by God to have a, a, a wonderful marriage. I have a wonderful wife who is wonderfully flawed, who's married to a, a dopey guy who is wonderfully flawed. And I have learned so much about how God loves me through how I relate to my wife. The best sermon that I will ever preach is for you to watch me love her and watch me lay down my life for her and watch me be selfish and repent of that selfishness to her and to you. The purpose of marriage is to teach you how much God loves you and see how when you choose yourself in your marriage, you screw it up and it messes it up and life is hard and it stinks and it's miserable. And then to teach you how the only way to make a marriage work and, and succeed is to completely and totally always lay down your life. Guys, if you've ever heard me say anything to you, I've said to you, lay down your life for your wife. It's the most important thing you will do on this planet is lay down 
life for your wife. Because while it's the most important and greatest message I will ever preach, it's the same greatest message that you will ever preach. is how you treat your wife. And, and at the heart of it is, is this, this notion that God is showing us how much He loves us in and through our marriage. As we grow in intimacy with our spouse, we begin to see the wonder of what it is like to love and to be loved. And Jesus was just talking in in Mark 10 about this two becoming one flesh. And we have this heightened sensitivity to understanding and place proper perspective of our marriage and how we love our spouse and how our spouse loves us and how that operates in, in when we're operating in the will of God. And, and that has to bubble over into worship. Um, I want to say something that is uh, sort of awkward and is even more awkward given that my daughter is in the room. But I'm going to say it anyway because it deserves to be said. Brianna, if you want to close your ears, that's cool. Uh, some of the the most beautiful times of worship of my life are when my wife and I go on a date and just enjoy one another. There's nobody else with us. And we go home into our bedroom and we make love. And it is the, a beautiful moment of worship. And, and when we are, are truly connected for the purpose of our lives, to, to, to give thoroughly of, of who we are to a spouse, to another human being, it has to bubble up over into worship. That's what God created our lives to do, to be in perfect shalom relationship with Him and perfect shalom relationship with people on this planet. And we get to experience that peace of heaven with a spouse. And if you're not married or want to get married, it's, it's a grand pursuit. And it's, it's huge because it's a, it's a great proclamation of the relationship that we have with Jesus. The second purpose of marriage and the most important message, purpose of marriage, is to bring glory to God. Like I said, the most important message I'll ever preach is is how I lay down my life for my wife and you to watch that and see it and understand this I said I'm I'm blessed to have a great marriage with my wife and and understand that word blessed I am blessed and blessed means I didn't do anything and she didn't do anything and you didn't do anything I thank God as much as I can remember to thank God for the relationship that he's granted to me with my wife. I am blessed by God. God shows me a piece of himself through my marriage. And it's nothing of my doing or her doing or your doing. It's all his. I am blessed by God for this marriage. And my prayer, my hope that it brings glory to him. I want to close with uh, a simple reading of Ephesians chapter 5. 
You've probably heard these verses before. These are Paul teaching husbands and wives in the Ephesian church. Um, in the book of Ephesians, the, the background of the book of Ephesians is it's, it's sort of the, the cliff notes on how to start a church. It's Paul is teaching the, the people in Ephesus, a big major city, politically, geographically, economically, and in Bible times is Ephesus. And so there's this really, really important church that's there. And so Paul is teaching that church how to be a church, and he ends it with, with this stuff. Paul's thought about how to be a church is ended with how to be married. Wrestle with that. Any good church in the, on the planet is built on strong marriages. And any, those are all built on strong men rising up to lay down their lives and serve their wives. That's the background for Ephesians 5. I don't want to give any more background. Just read it and let it sit into your brain. Wives, submit to your husbands, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. See Jesus. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, give yourself up for your wife. Lay down your self-fulfillment idol. Men, listen to me. Lay down your life for your spouse. Lay down your life for your wife as Christ laid down His life for the church. He gave Himself up for her. Lay down your pursuit of yourself and pursue your wife. Period. He did so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is your role, men. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are all members of his body. We want to serve ourselves so much. That's our idol. That's what we want to be. We want to serve ourselves. We want to please ourselves. But we screw it up. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Proverbs twice in verse four, in chapter 14 and verse six, chapter 16. At the heart of it is we want to serve ourselves and we screw it up. But ultimately, serving your wife is serving yourself because it brings joy and peace and shalom with her and with your God. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Because God has given us marriage to show us the beauty of who He is and what He did and does for us. 
It's glorious and it's beautiful. And a good marriage ought to bring you to an encounter with the cross. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Foremost, I thank you before these people for, for the marriage that you've given to me, God. And I, I pray with all that I am that it would be worthy of being looked at, Father. God, I confess my own selfishness, my own idol of self-fulfillment and trying to please myself, God. God, I thank you. I thank you for those who have gone before me. Thank you for Jim and Marcy Carter who, who showed that to me, God. I thank you for, for marriages that you've brought into the lives of even these people to show you glimpses in perfection. Lord, I, I thank you that you've given us this thing called marriage so that we can see you, Father. And Lord, may we not get bogged down in the story and miss what you're teaching to run to you as children run to you, God. God, I thank you for the cross that overcame the hardness of our hearts, that overcame the fracture in the relationship that we caused. I thank you so much for the cross that gives us perfect relationship with you. I thank you for Jesus. It's in his perfect name that I pray. Amen.